0: John Copenhagen
3: and Al Warren. Heard
0: on KCB, 106.5 FM
2: Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. And on the line we have uh, Jack Goldsmith, who's the author of In Hoffa's Shadow. Um, this has been a very hot topic lately. Um, thank you for being here, Jack. Thank you for having me. So, uh, so for now, for the listeners, um, what is your connection to Hoffa?
3: Hoffa was, in a kind of weird way, my grandfather—not by blood, but by association. His, my stepfather. When I was a teenager, he became my stepfather. Was a man named Charles Chucky O'Brien, and Chucky was. Hoffa's most intimate aide he met him when he was nine and he was by his side for the decades before the disappearance and then six weeks after Chucky became my stepfather and a week after the Hoffa's disappearance in July of 75 Chucky became a leading suspect so that's how that's my connection to the Hoffa case
2: um, so now uh, you're still quite close to uh, O'Brien I-, I would take it yes very close Um so so now with the with the Irishmen coming out on netflix and and we've got the of course um Charles Brandt book on the Sharon case um how close do you think that is to the real story and and if not what what's your biggest
3: problems so it's it's the Sharon confession is entirely fictional um there's a whole slew of reasons i can I can tell you some and if you want to know more, I'll tell you more um So, there's absolutely zero evidence to support Sheeran's theory and Sheeran's confession. The FBI agents that I spoke to for the book and who know the case the best, uh, the one agent who looked at the confession on tape, which hasn't been released publicly, said it was preposterous and obviously made up. Um, There's no evidence that he was in Detroit that day, and actually, there's a lot of evidence that he wasn't in Detroit that day. The FBI has him under surveillance in the 70s, where he was admitting that he wasn't in Detroit and he had a lot of evidence to prove it. Um, and then the circumstances of the crime are, are kind of preposterous, having the mob boss drive him to the hit, fly into Detroit to get together with people that he hadn't met and hadn't organized with to commit the crime of the century. There are a whole bunch of things wrong with it, but the main thing is that there's no evidence to support it, and a lot of reasons I think it's not true.
2: Well, what do you think, what do you think Sharon's uh, goal was then by telling us, because he, he's dead now.
3: Yeah, I have no idea. All I know uh, is that for for about um, nine years before the book came out, Sharon was trying to get a book contract, and he told about five or six different stories, all mutually inconsistent, about uh, what happened to Hoffa and his involvement in the Hoffa case. Um, he was told he he, according uh, to the book, he was he lied and forged a document about Hoffa and right when one book was about to be accepted by the publisher. So the next publisher says he'd have to stand by the next story that he told. And I assume, I don't know, but I assume that he told his tale to get a book contract, but I really don't know. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, now, when it comes to um, O'Brien, who is your stepfather, um, now, so he's, he denies that he drove Hoffa that, that last day, right? He didn't have Hoffa in the car.
3: Right. He was not. He was not did not pick up Hoffa that day. That's correct. And
2: what I guess what the FBI, what Kenneth uh, Walton said that he there was a hair that matched DNA's to Hoffa's and stuff. That was you know kind of
3: lame, I guess. Hey, um, I just well the, that was yeah. that was the most that was the most damning piece of evidence against Chucky. They picked up the car that he was driving that afternoon, nine days after the disappearance. Anything could have happened in those nine days. But the most damning piece of evidence was they found a hair that was in the car that was later matched to be Hoffa's. Um, And as I explain in the book, the FBI, which suspected Chucky early on by the 1990s, came not to suspect him despite that hair for a whole bunch of reasons. The circumstantial case against him fell apart. They figured out the timeline better and he couldn't have been there based on his known whereabouts. And as for the hair in the car, they they don't know how it got there, but they suspect it was because he was driving the car of the son of someone, uh, a mobster who had seen Hoffa the week before the disappearance who had actually moved uh, a rug from his workout room and got on his hands and knees and laid down the rug in a new room. And according to the FBI's uh, hair transfer theory, hundreds of hairs would have been on that guy's body, and that's how they suspect it got in the car. But that is the most damning piece of evidence. But as I say, the FBI came to believe that there were overwhelming reasons not to suspect Chucky.
1: I have a question real quick about that. Well, you said that it was matched to Hoffa's, and it sounded like that was in the early 90s. So was that before DNA, or was DNA actually done on that hair?
3: no it was that's a good question there was an initial analysis done in the 70s and I forget the exact scientific conclusion but they concluded that it might have been a match microscopically in- indistinguishable that kind of thing I, I don't remember but but they did a, a more sophisticated DNA test in the late 1990s early 2000s on the hair when when the science got more sophisticated and that's how they made the match ok that's interesting
2: Hmm. what, what, what what's, what's your take on it then like how, how do you see it um, if, if your stepfather the, the, didn't the do disappearance
3: it, yeah yeah, so this is a disappointing answer, but I'll tell you what I think <laughs> I'll tell you two things I'll tell you two things one, um, there's absolutely no evidence in the public record and no evidence that I saw in the in the government files. No evidence at all to suggest what happened to Hoffa that day. I mean, I spoke to all the FBI agents who worked the case. And the truth is, is that there's a lot of speculation and there's good evidence that there was a plot by the mob to knock him off. But we actually have no idea what happened that afternoon, Hmm. at least based on the evidence I saw. But I'll tell you one more thing. The FBI currently, and I'm hoping that they will release this information soon. I learned from the FBI and from the U.S. Attorney's Office over the course of my research and investigations that since the 90s when they stopped suspecting Chucky, this has all been in secret, they haven't disclosed any of this, since they stopped suspecting Chucky, they think they know who did it, and it's not anyone who's been on the radar screen, it's a, it was a low-level Detroit monster who quickly rose in prominence. They based this judgment on informant information and electronic surveillance. But they never had enough evidence to arrest him, and I can't judge the evidence they have against him. That's their theory, that it was a nationwide conspiracy, probably originating from New York, but that it was carried out by locals in Detroit. Wow.
1: Well, that brings up a good question. Why would they want to kill Jimmy Hoffa at that particular
3: time? Do you have any theories about that? Yeah, that, that, that's the answer to that is, is clear and has been clear since the 70s, namely... When Hoffa got out of jail in 1971, Richard Nixon put a condition on his commutation. He commuted his sentence, but put a condition on it, saying that Hoffa could not rejoin the Teamsters Union and get involved in labor until 1980. And this drove Hoffa crazy because he basically felt like he was deprived from his union. He felt like the person he put in charge, Frank Simmons, double-crossed him. And he grew angrier and angrier. And starting in the 1974, he started threatening increasingly publicly to expose mob ties with the Team Church Union. And Hoffa knew well about mob ties with the Team Union and he made these threats louder and more broadly. And basically it's pretty clear that the conspiracy originated because the mob thought that he was talking to the government or going to talk to the government and bring them all down. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty clear that that was the motivation.
1: Because I have to ask because you always hear the stories that he was killed because he was going to talk about the mob's involvement in the JFK assassination and and stuff like that.
3: So that's, there's you know, that's not an insane theory, but I don't buy it. The reason that people think that is um, Hobbit has appeared the same summer as the church committee was doing its hearings, or at least when its report came out, and the church committee was uh, looking into all sorts of uh, untoward and illegal CIA and intelligence community activities, including assassinations. And within a year, Jimmy Hoffa died and uh, two other mobsters, Sam Giancani, Giancana and Donnie Rosselli. And the conspiracy theory was that they were all knocked off because, I don't know what, they were going to expose the mob's involvement in something or other involving some assassinations and maybe the Kennedy assassination. Um, I think there's 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 no evidence for that. The the Warren Commission didn't do a very good job of looking into it, but the House of Representatives in the 1980s did a really thorough scrub of the mob's involvement in killing JFK, and they basically found nothing. Um, there is circumstantial evidence pointing to some mobsters' involvement. Jack Ruby, for example, was known by Hoffa. Chuck, he actually knew Jack Ruby, uh, and he had some connections to the mob. So I'm not saying that there's nothing there, But there's zero reason to think that was why Hoffman was knocked off. Yeah,
1: and in the church committee, that's when they started to discover the link between the CIA and the mob and the attempts to kill Castro, and then that led Correct. to the House Select Committee, which, according to the stories, Johnny Roselli was supposedly getting ready to talk to that committee, and that's why they think that he was killed, too.
3: Yeah, so Roselli and Giancana, uh, Roselli in particular, was, I think, set to testify, and he was chopped up and found in a drum in Miami Harbor. Yeah, uh, And that may have been why he was killed, I don't know. But but on the question of why, if it was why Hoffa was killed, mm-hmm. I just I have never seen any evidence for that. The House committee that you just referred to looked at it very, very closely. And, um, I, you know, I can't prove a negative, but I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. It's always
1: brought up, so it's interesting to hear that perspective yeah. from you on
2: that.
3: Yeah, it is always brought up, I agree. So uh,
2: what was it like? Now, did you um, know Hoffa? Uh, in a, on a personal level, even as you were quite a bit younger?
3: Unfortunately, no. Chucky um, came into my life after he and Hoffa had, had a breach. Uh, in fact, he and Hoffa had a breach because he started dating my mom and wanted to marry her. And uh, I might have met him, but he disappeared six weeks after Chucky became my stepfather. So, I felt like I got to know him very well in researching my book. He was an amazing man, uh, truly a uh, extraordinary human being. But I know I never met him personally.
2: Hmm. So, so, what what was it like then? Uh, so, your mother just married uh, Mister O'Brien, and six weeks, all of a sudden, Hoff is gone, and and he's named as a <laughs> candidate. So, what what was life like then?
3: It was. I talk about this in the book. It was pretty wild, and pretty awful. Um, It was a zoo, there was this, first of all, my mom suffered from mental health problems and um, she had tried to kill herself a couple of years earlier, she had severe depression and this the the whole ordeal, and it was a complete zoo, the whole ordeal was obviously terrible for for her uh, mental health and she went kind of in a downward spiral. My new stepfather, whom I adored, he was the first father figure I ever had, and he was a great stepfather, believe it or not, and given all the other troubles he had. And But here was this man that I was kind of idolizing who was being accused of all these terrible things and was just under enormous pressure and trying to deal with that. At the same time, he's trying to deal with my mom and, and, and us, me and my two brothers. And then Chucky knew a lot of uh, organized crime figures, including... People that were maybe involved in the disappearance, people like Anthony Provenzano and Nancy giacoloni, these people were my uncle's, Tony. I was very close to them, and they were part of our family, and I admired them when I was a teenager, so it was an unusual time hmm.
2: and so you say you admired them, but um you you kind of didn't know what they were doing behind the scenes, so to speak um,
3: right i you know I admired them because I basically accepted Chucky's worldview, and he said to me. And I believed him, and this turned out to be false, that there's no such thing as the mob, these governments harassing these guys. My experience of them was one of affection. They were kind to me. It wasn't until I went to college, I kind of got out from that, um, from Chucky's shadow, that I started to see the situation for what it was.
2: Hmm. What do you you think of them now when you look back on this and those times?
3: So it's, so the people I call my uncles, I mean, again, these people are, I knew them in a context where they were extremely kind to me and my family at a very vulnerable time in my life. So, you know, I have had affection for them, and I still have some affection for their family. Um, I don't admire, obviously, I don't admire at all the things they did on the criminal side, Um, I came to, you know, one of the reasons I broke with my stepfather, we we didn't talk for 20 years because when I was in college and law school, I came to see that he did have these criminal associations. He had committed crimes himself. I was going to law school. I wanted to, uh, ensure that I could have a successful career. And I worried that my association with all these people would hurt me. So I basically at the time cut him out of my life. and didn't speak to him for 20 years. Um, I came to rethink that later, but I was pretty harsh on him when I was a young man.
1: And you went in, you were going to become a government prosecutor, um, so that obviously shows a drastic departure from your roots. Uh,
3: well, yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I started to change, change, I started to come into my own, I guess, when I was in college. I went to Yale Law School, I became, you know, I had sort of ordinary Yale Law School student ambitions. I thought I might work, want to work for the government, I thought I might want to be an academic, I didn't have specific ambitions then, but whatever my ambitions were, I knew that they might be jeopardized with this association. And by the way, that turned out to be true. Um, I, had, I had a series of government jobs uh, culminating in a job with a very high position in the Justice Department for which I had to get uh, both Senate approval and some very high security clearances. And neither one of those things would have happened. I'm convinced. And I, again, I talk about this in the book with a lot of evidence from the internal deliberations in the government. Neither one of those things would have happened had I not uh, broken off my relationship with Chucky.
2: Did you want um, people to get out of your book when they read it?
3: So that's a complicated question. I set out my ambition when I started the book, uh, Eight years ago was simply to try for the first, there's so much misinformation, so many false confessions and false narratives and false government leaks, so much misinformation about the Hoffa disappearance. My goal was pretty simple. I was going to tell the story as objectively as I could. I was going to interview everyone who was ever involved in it. I was going to interview Chucky and kind of lay out the truth of the Hoffa disappearance and try to exonerate my stepfather, which I think I did. Everyone who read the book suggests says, says that I have. The FBI has admitted that they don't think he did it. So the main reason I wrote the book was to uh, tell the truth about my stepfather and to try, if I could, to exonerate him from this terrible charge that he's lived with for 44 years. That was the main goal. But along the way, <laughs> it took a lot of detours. I learned a lot of things about the origins of the surveillance state. I learned a lot about government overreaching about the history of the mob and labor unions and how they became intertwined. And I learned a lot about father-son relationships. Uh, My views towards Chucky changed over the course of my life. And um, later in my life, I came to regret having treated him so badly when I was a young man.
2: Um, I was just wondering, during your research and putting together the book and writing, uh, what was the biggest surprise that you got? What was it that you learned that that kind of um, shocked you?
3: Gosh, there were so many surprises, small and large. Um, I guess, so I'll give you two. One surprise was that when I cut through all of the misinformation that I was talking about a second ago, there's just very little that's known about what actually happened to Hoffa that afternoon. It remains, 44 years later, the most extraordinary mystery. There's actually zero, zero direct evidence of what happened to him. Everything we think happens that afternoon is based on circumstantial evidence, and there's no direct evidence to support it. And this was one of the things that the FBI agents I talked to kept coming back to over and over. These are guys that have been obsessed with this for over four decades. How at the end of the day, they just don't know what happened to him. He just went up in a puff of smoke. The second thing that surprised me, and it was a very happy surprise, and I wish the government would talk about it publicly, was to learn that starting in the 1990s and growing over time, Um, the FBI came to think that Chucky wasn't involved at all. They had, in fact, concluded that he was innocent. And even though he still lives with the public charge that he broke, his a man who was like a father to him to his death, it was some solace to to know that the government thought he was innocent and to be able to tell the story based on what I learned from them and others about why he was innocent.
1: Well, it's very telling that you have decided to write a book where you clear your father, which is not the way that most people tend to write these kinds of books.
3: One of the things, so another big thing in the book is trying to tell the truth, the difficulty, the real difficulty of figuring out what's true, these old mysteries, the difficulty of figuring out what's true in my relationship with my stepfather. We had over a thousand hours of conversation and he had he knew a lot about the background to the disappearance because he knew Hoffa intimately and he was spending a lot of time with him and he knew a lot of the organized crime figures intimately. And so trying to get him to talk to me about things he wasn't supposed to talk about was a challenge. Um, anyway, I tried my best to tell the truth, and I learned a lot about truth telling and the difficulty of doing so.
2: Fantastic. Well, um, it's an incredible book. I've been listening to it. I recommend it to people. Um, now, do you have a website um, besides your book, or do, are you on social media?
3: Yes, I do. No. I have a website for the book. It's called InHoppaShadow.com. Just write the name of the book without the apostrophe. And there I collect, uh, you know, dozens of interviews, reviews. The reviews have been extraordinarily generous. It's been very gratifying. And the main interviews that I've had and some other fun facts about the disappearance,
2: sounds good fantastic um, well thank you for being on the show um, the book is called In Half Us Shadow uh, the author and guest is Jack Goldsmith
3: thank you very much for having me to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me
0: well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.
3: I'll be back.
0: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts,